Welcome to episode 12 of the David Binkowski podcast. Today, my guest is Carlos Cardona. Carlos is the chairman of the Laconia Democratic Party, and he just won his primary to be one of the candidates for state representative in Laconia, New Hampshire. He's from Aguadilla, Puerto Rico, so if he wins, he'd be the first LGBTQ Latino elected to office in New Hampshire. So congratulations, obviously. I mean, it's uh, it's pretty cool that I was reading. I, I obviously you know, I I know you from Twitter, and watched the campaign kind of as you unfold and stuff. It's that's pretty cool. My father was a politician and a lawyer in uh, in Warren, Michigan, which is uh, known for three things. One is M and M's from there. Uh, two is our mayor. Our mayor made national news when I was growing up because he confronted a young uh, African-American male in the street and dropped the N-bomb in front of like 20 people. So that made national news. He was on you know, NBC, all that stuff. And then, um, uh, yeah, so then the GM Tech Center is based there, which a lot of Puerto Ricans end up going there. I found out through some friends that uh, they recruit heavily from UPRM. So I didn't know that. I met it. I was at the beach with my family in... Um, in Cabo Rojo, and there was a guy with a, tr- a tiger's hat on, and I was like, "What? What is it? What are you doing? Like, where are you from? <laughs> like, what's?" And he goes, "I grew up on. I grew up in Warren." I said, "That's where I'm from." And he goes, "Where'd you grow up?" I said, "Masonic and Hoover." He goes, "I'm from Common Road in Hoover." So he literally is a mile down the road from me. Wow. Yeah, and um, he goes, "He said, he goes, where did you go to high school?" I said, "De La Salle." He goes, "I lived right. That's that was right by my house." He told me that it was a it was a middle school that closed, and then the, when they moved out of Detroit, they bought this school and have expanded it since into this like big uh, Catholic school. It's one of the only one of the few remaining Catholic schools in the area. Um, but he he grew up right by there, and he happened to meet a woman. He worked at GM, and so did she. And um, he met a Puerto Rican woman from Aguada, and they got married, and then they moved down here, and that's it. I'm like, this is crazy, like small world, you know? Yeah, yeah, it happens around. I always get chills when I hear the stories of how Puerto Ricans end up here. And um, I was at the DMV not long ago renewing my license. And there was a couple of people, you know, social distancing outside lined up. And I saw the Puerto Rico flag and I was like, oh, I did Boricua. And they were like, yeah. And I was like, where are you from? They're like, Aguadilla. I'm like, No, you're kidding. And he's like, yeah, yeah, where are you from? I was like, Aguadilla. And so they were like, no way. And then we started talking and I don't know that we're a hundred percent related, but we could be. So based on, you know, the, the stories he was telling me where he's from and like, I was like, you know, Roldan. So my family is Lebron Roldan and then Cardona uh, Rodriguez. So and I get Caldona Lebron as my last name. So I was like connecting the dots and I was like, oh, this is a small world. So and it's a small island. So it's very good chance. <laughs> the power for Puerto Rico, Erika Gonzalez um, Roldan. She's from, her family's from Aguadilla. Her mom is from Aguadilla. And we found out that we could be cousins. So um, when she came here to New Hampshire during the presidential elections, she was like, we met. And, you know, they came out here to talk to me a little bit about what it's like to be a Puerto Rican in New Hampshire. And 
we were like small world. She's from New York City and like yeah. she traveled there just for work and she couldn't believe it that, you know, so so it was kind of cool. So it's always interesting to hear the migration pattern. Yeah, it's very interesting. I didn't realize that the one of the um, one of my followers lives in Chicago in the Chicago area. And she said that when she graduated from Colegio, that they took 150 kids, went to General Motors, 150 went to Chrysler, 100, like they were getting the entire wow. classes were being recruited to come up to the Detroit area. I was like, I had no, I, I, I grew up in Warren my entire life until, you know, we moved to New Jersey, basically. I never knew that. I never saw a Puerto Rican flag, like nothing. And I was like right two miles from the tech center. So it's wild. Yeah, uh, similar stuff happens here. Um, the The mayor of Meriden, Connecticut, uh, his name is Mike Cardona, and um, he's so he had endorsed Bernie Sanders during the presidential year, and so had I. And I, I was becoming there was like this fan base that was generating on social media. I don't know what to call it. It's still very new to me and very strange. <laughs> and so he was one of my new followers. So I followed him back and I was like, oh, great to be on the same team. We have the same last name. Come to find out. So my grandfather's brother moved to Connecticut at a very young age and the family never reconnected. Huh. And that's his father who happens to be my great uncle. So he's wow. the he's the mayor of Meriden, Connecticut. And it's it's now we've connected since so we've known each other now for about six months and we have a good friendship and he's always cheering me on and he's like i can't believe this and like you know there's a cardona not too far from me i mean connecticut is about four hours from me it's an yeah. easy drive i go to connecticut well before covid i used to go to connecticut like at least i don't know a couple of times a year so you know there's big casinos there so my family mm -hmm. would go to or whatever but um so i was just you know shocked that i just had never heard of him he had never heard of me until this whole social media world exploded a little bit during the presidential uh politics so it's crazy i have I've, there's only yeah i it's um yeah we we were in poland a few years ago and we're sitting at the, the restaurant or the hotel bar and we were about to go out for the night. We, my wife and I stopped to have a drink. And the guy working at the bar, we started talking. And he asked me, how do you like Poland so far? And I'm like, well, I've never been here before. But I've never been to, I've never visited someplace where I don't speak the language at all. But I've never felt less, like, I, I feel like I'm at home. Like, everybody here looks like my family. You know, like my cousin, my aunt, my mom, my dad. Like, it was just a wild experience. And he goes, well, where's your family from? I said, well, part of the family is from Gdansk, which is where we we're at. And the rest is from Gdania, which is another town, um, you know, another sea town, so to speak. And he goes, what's your last name? And I said, Binkowski. And he goes, that's my last name. I'm like, you got to be kidding me. He's like, we're probably cousins. I'm like, Jesus. Like, <laughs> and it's not like Binkowski's not in Poland. It's like one of the top 15 most common names or whatever. But here, like in the States, it's not. And um, yeah. yeah, it's just crazy. It's just social media has brought so many made those connections so much more real that you never would have had that experience or, or met those people. They just kind of would have went about their business. And um, yeah, I agree. It's probably one of the only benefits of social media is like getting to meet new people and connect and all that. And there's like all the awful stuff, but anyway. yeah, I'm, I, I don't, I don't think, I don't think I would be here. Um, well, d definitely I wouldn't be here talking to you if it wasn't for social media, but 
politics wise, this city's so underlooked all the time in politics. I mean, prior to this presidential election and the work I had to do, this city was maybe visited by, we were lucky we would get a one presidential visit, which I know we're spoiled because like most of the country doesn't get as much attention as we do, but this city compared to New Hampshire, it was always forgotten. So, um, so thanks to social media, you know, I was able to multitask and do the work that I do to get the attention I need for the city to get the recognition it deserves to the issues that are happening here. So, um, I credit everything to social media, even though I'm very anti-Facebook. <laughs> uh, uh, trust me, I, I've been working I, in marketing for, since the nineties and watched it go from like, you know, blogs and message boards and chat rooms and then to MySpace, and then now to what we have today. And it's like, it's probably best we're not all connected on, on that much <laughs> of a level. Because, <laughs> like, we, I mean, we we left, um, we were living in rural New York. So I went from Detroit. My wife and I met when she was in college in Ann Arbor. And we ended up living in Metro Detroit for the first however many years of our marriage and, and with our kids and all that. And then we moved to New Jersey when they were young. And that's because I worked in the city. And once um, I was ready to start up about three years after moving there, I had been promised that these companies I worked for would help me start up and fund me and all this kind of stuff. And they just all turned their backs on me because I knew I was competition. So I bailed and um, started up my own company. And then my wife went to work in the city. And then after a year, her boss was comfortable enough where he was like, you can work from the Catskills if you, if you want to live in your weekend home, which we did. So because the town we were in in New Jersey, it was just not like, if you listen to the first episode I did, I was talking to Scott Rabb, who's an author who lived in that city. And he was like, you were smart to leave, man. He's like, it's not good news. So it, it, it's, it's, every place has flaws, but I mean, just, it was not, you know, you get to a point where, and we saw this with 2016 in the Catskills where you look around and you're like, these are not our people. Like I, I, you know, Trump 2020, no more bullshit flags everywhere. And you're like, I, this is not, when we came here, we like only went to the best restaurants and saw, went to the farmer's market and like all the good, wholesome, awesome things about it, go down the Delaware river, like all these fun things. And then you see the ugliness you hear. One of our, um, our, our project manager still lives there. And across the street from her are two Puerto Ricans. Elizabeth, who's from Isabella, and Daniel, who's from Comorio. And so, like, I asked her, I'm like, do you know any graphic designer? She's like, well, Danny does it. I'm like, who's Danny? She's like, it's my neighbor. You should come meet him. So I drove over and met him and his wife, and they're like, and we ended up talking, and, um, you know, however many months later, I told him, like, we're moving to Puerto Rico. And he's like, you are? He's like, I got to come down with you. I'm like, for what? He's like, show you around. I'm like, we'll be fine. We, You know, we're pretty adventurous and all that, but... Um, but even his kids were getting stuff in school, like when build the wall and all that bullshit. I'm like, they're from Puerto Rico, you dipshits. Like, oh, yeah. it's like, it's just so ignorant. And so it just gets to a point where like, like I said, my, the, our school district up there said they might close that if they cut programs, cut teachers, all them were like, I'm not, I know this, I know how this is going to end. Rural America has been in a slide for decades. It ain't coming back. Like, we can either stay here and lose all the value in our house or we can get out of here. And that's the whole, where do you want to go? Cause we're not from here. And so we started looking around and we, we had been vacationers here for a decade and um, just got to the point where like kind of tired of white people, kind of really sick of the shit. Like Americans are not good people. Like there's just, 
look who they're electing, look at the stuff they believe. It's like, this is not what we like. And as you know, you know, it's very family oriented here and people take care of each other. And it's just a very different culture and mindset here. And we're like, I'd rather raise my kids there and make them acclimate and, and learn the culture and learn the language and then stay here and like watch them like do keg stands with like monster energy for loco bullshit. Like just the, just the whole thing. I mean, people party here, but it's not like, it's just different. Even my son said to me, he's 17 and he's going to go to inter-American San Herman next year for college. He's studying piano um, under a fantastic piano, piano teacher here. She's a professor and runs the music department there. And, um, and she's just like the best. Her name is Neil de Betancourt. And she is just, she's a mother to a grandmother to him. You know, she's just so nice to him. But he said to me just the other week, he goes, he was like, I'm glad we moved here. And then we've been here for two years. Right. So it's, I was like, I was like, what changed? What, what, why all of a sudden are you like, and he had, he's had great times here. Don't get me wrong. Um, you know, he, he and his friends go out downtown on college night in Mayaguez where it's like Mardi Gras, basically all the college kids and the high school kids are out there. Um, so, you know, there's like, there's, he's had his, his ups and downs here, so to speak, like any teenager would, but he was like, I'm happy we don't live there in, in New York anymore. And I was like, why is that? And he goes, they're classless. And he's like, they're just classless. He said, I, I like, they brag about like in high school, kids are bragging about sleeping with each other, doing drugs. Like I said, where, how did this come up? Cause he's not like, he's a very rea- reactionary kind of person that way. And I said, where did you come to this conclusion or how did this come about? And he goes, well, one of the girls I met at band camp in Upper, he went to um, uh, one of the one of the SUNY schools has a summer music uh, program. So he went to this camp for piano and he met all these kids and they, you know, Snapchat and numbers and traded and all that stuff. And he was like, there's trashy. He goes, this one girl, he goes, she's 16 sitting in her mom's house. The parents are divorced and she's smoking weed out of an apple in her mom's house. And I'm like, the mother doesn't care. And he's like, no, she encourages it. I'm like, he's like, he goes, you know, he goes, dad, I'm not going to lie to you. There are kids here that use drugs or drink or whatever, but they're not there bragging about it or like telling their parents. It's like shame. Like you shouldn't be doing it. It's still, there's still some sense of like morals. And he was like, New York's trash. I'm like, "Mm, yeah, that's kind of why we left. I just, and it's not all that way, obviously, but, you know, I, I was a basketball coach there and I saw some shit and like, you know, my, my son's school was that they had graduated 38 kids out of 48, no, 30, 36 out of 48 kids his senior year. How does a quarter of the grade not graduate? That's crazy to me. Yeah. And in his grade alone, there were four drug dealers. So for every 10 kids, there was one drug dealer. I'm like, what is going on? And this is like rural, rural, small school, class D, everybody knows everybody, New York, two hours from Manhattan. And it was just like awful. And, and so just, you started watching, I'm like, yeah, we gotta go. So anyway, so we love living here by the way. Um, uh, but you know, it's just been, I don't know. Uh, it's been night and day, quite frankly, like from yeah. when my kids go back to the mainland to visit family or whatever, they're like, I don't like these people at all. <laughs> it's like, it's different. It's a different culture. It is a different culture. So they like uh, Puerto Rico's treating you guys good. Um, we've had our shit too. Don't get me wrong. Like we've had a couple people like you know when we first got here, the landlord that we had, um, her realtor stole twenty five hundred dollars from us, and okay. yeah, we've had some bullshit happen. But you know, it's still like 
but we've also met some of the most amazing, like, just we've made some great friends here. Our neighbors are all phenomenal people. I text my neighbor Warren. I'm like, I saw this Orlando Bravo guy. He's like a billionaire from Mayaguez, and he's launching a, a foundation here, a $100 million foundation. Like, who is this guy? He's like, I went to high school with him. I'm like, of course you did, right? Of course <laughs> you did. And I'm like, well, who's this guy, Jaime Morales? He runs the foundation. He's the executive director. He's like, that's my best friend. I was like, what, what are the odds? You know, just like... They're always very network. They're always networking. So I, I don't know if you knew, but my cousin has uh, an election in Aguadilla. He's running for the mayor of Aguadilla. Julio no, I Roldan. no, I didn't know that. Yeah, Julio Roldan is my cousin. Um, he, well, he's my second cousin, my mom's cousin. Um, he just won his primary, I don't know, like a month ago, two months ago, whenever Puerto Rico held their election. I get them confused. but well, yes. it, it, it actually happened last month but it took another full because they had to yeah. wait the week right and then revote and then so there's still there's a guy that i follow who lives in my here who does a lot of election tallying stuff and keeps track of all of it and has a website uh manuel is his name manuel rivera and uh and he was still posting stuff the other day about challenges to the vote counts and stuff i'm like dude just let it go like you lost you know <laughs> like but yeah it's yeah so he's is he, is he PPD PNP or other? He's PPD. Um, so family's Democrat, as far as we can remember. My, so I should clarify because I'm going to offend my father if he listens to this. But <laughs> my mother's side is very Democrat. Um, my father's side is split. They're PIP and yeah. PNP, which is a really weird uh, yeah. interaction. But my dad, growing up, he was like very PIP, very. Uh, I guess he must have like known a lot of macheteros growing up in Puerto Rico, and like you know, he was very involved in like just starting something new in Puerto Rico. He was tired of seeing Puerto Rico used, and I am an infusion of. I think I'm like an infusion of all three, because like. I, I really wish Puerto Rico someday could like self-determine itself. Itself, um, Puerto Rico lacks a, a little bit of self-respect, um, and part of it is because politicians have been have been using the system to survive instead of using the system to better themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've watched it. I mean, I, I used to know Sila Sila Mari Calderon growing up, uh, Aníbal Acevedo Vila. Um, these are the people I grew up listening to and hearing them in my, in my, you know, my house, like my grandfather was very connected to politics. And so, um, I, I just, I, as, since I was very little, I was always analyzing what these people were saying and what they were doing. And I, my, my impression growing up always was that people were trying to survive instead of better themselves. You know, when you're trying to survive, you do whatever it takes to get through You're living day by day. So when I say, you know, I'm glad Puerto Rico's treating you good, you know, like I I didn't have that opportunity. I mean, and for many reasons, I don't want you to feel bad at all, but like one, I grew up very poor. I think the class that you're born into in Puerto Rico, just Puerto Rico is very traditional. So if you're right. born with a, a certain class, you'll have better opportunities. I didn't have that opportunity. I, I grew up in a shanty village in Un Cerro in, in, in Aguadilla. Like there's no roads not even a path we just build it with a machete you know so um so that i think that played 
against me growing up. Um, the other thing is also Catholics have a lot of power in Puerto Rico, you know, and now Protestants are starting to develop some political pl power and clout in Puerto Rico, which you're seeing because Luis Fortuño had to resign after he made the jokes about Christians. Um, so I grew up, you know, with that internalized homophobia, which in turn, school can be, schools in Puerto Rico can be the best place for a child to like have an op the only good opportunity to do something, or it could be the worst opportunity for a child to, and in many cases, that's the case everywhere in America, but in Puerto Rico more so, because you're either cultivating intelligence or you're cultivating getting bullied and some of the worst things that I have witnessed in my lifetime. And I remember, oh God, I, I received more punches to my face growing up for like being feminine. Um, and in part, my own homophobia was like putting me in really bad situations. Um, and then I, re I came out and then I, you know, when I was here in the, in the mainland and I realized life would have been a lot easier if I just been myself growing up. So, you know, Puerto Rico is a very complicated place. Mm -hmm. Um, I can see for like a regular American in mainland going to Puerto Rico, you know, things working out. Um, but there are places in the Island that I'm like, they just need so much work. So I, I grew up part of it, mostly in Aguadilla and then some of it in Agua Buena. Mm -hmm. Um, and I made some amazing friendships. Um, I made friendships with two students, Ileana, who is still in the island, and then another guy named Harvey, who's now a priest in Mexico, and we still talk to this day, and these are friendships that have lasted forever. Um, I, you know, like, there's so many good memories there, but, you know, so going back to the parties in Puerto Rico, I'm an infusion of all three, because, like, I want Puerto Rico to, I think, if Puerto Rico had self-respect, and when you have self-respect, you morph into something beautiful, so if Puerto Rico had self-respect, and I know some people get offended by this, um, it would be the most amazing Caribbean country there could possibly be. Because Puerto Rico has enough land to create something cool, but at the same time, it's not so large where, like Dominican Republic, for example, where it's so complicated because you have so many different cultures infusing. So Puerto Rico is already united in a sense. So, like, so I think it could become an amazing country. And of course, being in the middle of the world, as I say, um, you know, perfect distance from everywhere. Um, you know, that's why the United States claimed it, you know, because it was a perfect location. So, um, but at, the reason part of me would like that is because I have seen, I have self-respect for my culture, for my language, for my people. I have seen how the American culture has in many ways raped Puerto Rico's culture. Um, and so to me, it becomes offensive. It becomes very sad. And so, you know, I, I part of me wants Puerto Rico to, you know, it's kind of like when you see somebody dating and they're like, your boyfriend is not so bad or your girlfriend is not so bad, but we know you could do so much better. Right. It's like the same thing here. I know that Puerto Rico can do so much better. I mean, Puerto Rico has won Miss Universe contests, uh, sports contests. I mean, we've, no offense to America, but we've beat the United States at basketball, which the United States claim Puerto, uh, claims basketball is like, we're so good at it. We have LeBron James. We have beat LeBron James at its own game, like, and the Olympics. 
Um, so and the ultimate you know, we, LeBron James stopper and JJ Barea. <laughs> yeah, we sold Carlos Arroyo to the Miami. <laughs> No, we kind of like basically didn't even use him. Um, we proved that height doesn't matter. We proved that how big of a guy you are doesn't matter. You know, and over and over, Puerto Rico has overcome challenges. Puerto Rico has also, in the tech industry, in the pharmaceutical industry, Puerto Rico is like vital. And I just feel like underprivileged, you know, like Puerto Rico is just not appreciated. Um, and, you know, uh, my philosophy is if a relationship doesn't appreciate you, then it's time to move on. So, but I don't think Puerto Rico is there, you know, Puerto Rico is like, it's, it's like a domestic violence cycle. Like it's just, they don't know how to get out. Of it. And, uh, unfortunately I don't know any politician and I'll be careful with that <laughs> in the Island that truly understands what Puerto Rico needs to get out of the mess that it's in, like how to demand for themselves right. respect, you know, how to like, how to get it. Um, well, I think and, the, other, the other aspect of that, 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 that they don't understand too. And, and granted what's happening right now in, in the U S is unprecedented to have someone that behaves the way that this president does, that thinks the way he does, whose party just goes in lockstep with everything he does, no matter how illegal or awful it is or what have you. Um, I said this before, that I think if there was a play on independence or some preferred nation status, now is the time. He's desperate for votes. He is flailing and looking for any kind of deal to be made to save face. So... But to your point, the politicians here don't get that. And I see, even see that with some of the people on Twitter when they're talking about pro-statehood. And let's just talk to Mitch McConnell. I'm like, dude, he hates you. He's not going to negotiate with us. He does, and, yeah. they, and they did that study in 2014. If, if we became a state, 80,000 jobs gone because all yeah. those tax breaks would dry up. That means all the Microsofts, Lockheeds, the research, all the stuff that goes on here. We still have the Colegio and all the great stuff, but they'd have to leave the island to go get that break somewhere else. Unless we're going to welcome in other companies and give them those, like we need the business. And to me, like preserving that status, that tax status for those companies, you have to be able to make an argument, a financial argument to say, treat us better. That's how I think, that's how I view. Yeah. It's in that self-respect politicians have none. I mean, this is why I unfortunately say this, and I say unfortunately because it looks bad on Puerto Rico, but Puerto Rico has one of the worst politicians in all of the Western Hemisphere politics. They lack that backbone. They lack self-respect. They're constantly corrupt. And so I don't want to play into Donald Trump's hand, but that's the reality. That's I think that's, that's as far as I'll ever agree with Donald Trump. That said, we've created that. Um, you know, we've had great leaders such as, uh, and this will be controversial, but there was Lolita Lebron and all the Grito de Lares type of people, um, you know, and Lolita Lebron might as well be family. Um, so, you know, th- there's some really great leaders that we've had, but unfortunately I agree with you. This is the time for Puerto Rico to like self-determine. Um, that said, I hate it when people on social media, they automatically see me. They're like, you're mainland, you're Puerto Rican, you have to be pro-statehood. And it's like, <laughs> I, 
you know, like it's offensive for you to think of Puerto Ricans as in like we all fit into this little box. I was like, first of all, did you know that Puerto Rico has more than two party system? Like, do you, furthermore, do you understand what governs Puerto Rico? Like what drives people to the polls? The fact that 70 percent of Puerto Ricans vote, that's unheard of here in America. So and when I say America, I'm being stereotypical. I'm thinking yeah. of mainland. Um, so it's just I, I, people lack a real education about who Puerto Rico is. Um, I had, so I fight with my party here all the time because they're the most ignorant when it comes to Latin issues and Puerto Rico specifically. Um, a former chairwoman of the New Hampshire Democratic Party yesterday, I don't know if it was yesterday or the day before, and she was bragging how, how her parents or her dad, I think it was, or uncle served in the uh, Spanish-American War. And she was bragging about, like, you know, basically killing. And I'm thinking to myself, do you understand, like, I would never, with 45,000 Puerto Ricans here, let's just say that at least you're going to offend 10,000 of them. That's a lot. And I'm being, like, small on the percentage. But why would you ever brag about the Spanish-American War? Why would you brag that there's nothing to brag about? Like, World War II, I conceive you saying, you know, my parents served in the World War II. Like, that was a noble—and some people disagree with me, but that was a noble cause. Like, we were truly trying to save the world from—that's one of the very few wars that I actually believe that was a noble cause. Like, the Holocaust was a terrible thing— um, it was important that that be done, you know, that, that we go to war. And that was a war that was, I think, in my opinion, who knows what my, you know, how much my opinion is worth out there. But it, I, I thought it was a, a real good cause. But the Spanish-American War, there was no reason except imperialism for wanting to get involved. The United States was threatened by Spain, was thre felt threatened by the old world, that it didn't have enough room to breathe, basically. And and so I found it offensive because I was like, do you know how many Puerto Ricans got killed during the Spanish-American War and you're bragging about it when you have a chairman in your own state that is Puerto Rican descendant, um, born in Puerto Rico, that knows his history? That's the other thing. This is what I mean having respect. So in an ideal circle for her, uh, a typical Puerto Rican in the DNC would probably laugh it out and say, yeah, your family was noble and served great, and that's great for our country. But an actual Puerto Rican that has respect... Uh, sorry, we got disconnected there. Uh, an, actual, an actual Puerto Rican that has self-respect would stand up and say, there's nothing to brag there. You know, mm -hmm. 55... I believe 55 is the number, but it was close to that. Innocent Puerto Ricans died during the Ponce Massacre... And that's not including all the other Puerto Ricans that were uh, war, crime, war, war crime criminals, as, they, as the United States called them, that got put in prison indefinitely. Uh, there were Puerto Ricans just trying to fight for their, for their right to be. Um, and the other thing is the United States did not follow through on the promise to Puerto Rico, uh, which it was you will be able to self-determine yourself. And we know that the United States has to always intervene, whether it's indirectly or directly. When people ask me how, I say, well, Mitch McConnell won't even hold a vote for Puerto Rico. That is that is getting involved. That is intervening. Well, let's go even go further back to when Marine was the governor. And oh, they, got, yeah. they got the people out of the hills and put them in the projects yeah. and, gave them, and gave them welfare and put them on this in the state that we're in now, that like where I live now, 
in Mayaguez, where sixty percent of the town, the mayor's got it locked up. He's got the vote yeah. locked up because they've created a welfare state, and it's like, look, if you don't want this to go away, you better not. You know, he doesn't. Our our mayor does not want additional commerce in town, specifically yeah. so that he can stay in power, and he's been in power since ninety three. I mean, that's just crazy. And Aguadilla, the PNP, has had a stronghold. And I know this because I have relatives over there that might not be excited if they hear this. But and I'm all about speaking truth. And I believe in helping people. I'm, I'm a candidate about humanity first. Like, to me, that's important. But I think in Puerto Rico, has come to an extreme that it's just not helpful. It's not helpful for people. It's not really lifting humans. No. Um, but, you know, like I have family that they get told, you're going to lose your job if you vote otherwise. And, you know, like you're not guaranteed a job if this person doesn't win. And you imagine that happening here, there will be such a, I mean, at least in my area, that there will be such an uproar if that was the well, case. Like, they tried that when I was at Blue Cross in uh, Michigan, at Blue Cross Blue Shield, they had a political action committee called Blues Pack, and you had a one-on-one review every month with your manager or every other week or something like that. And there was a point when it was like election year, so any any year that's ending in an even number, where they would bring it up to you. Are you a member of Blues Pack? Are you a member of Blues Pack? You know, if you want to be management here, you should be part of Blues Pack. And I'm like, that's not legal. You can't force me into your political action committee, which then turns around and elects officials who will take money from Blue Cross through donations and then rewrite the laws so that it favors Blue Cross, so that as a not-for-profit insurance company puts all the for-profit people or any startups or anybody else at a disadvantage. So it's like, it, it kind of was that way where it was like, it's not that you won't have a job here. It's just we won't make you a manager or a director or a vice president if you don't give money to the political action committee. And one of my coworkers, she ended up leaving after I did. She actually told the, she told our manager at the time, she's like, if you bring this up to me one more time, I'm filing a lawsuit and it will make it a class action lawsuit on behalf of all employees here who are not part of this pack. She's like, this is not legal for you to talk about political action committees and tying it to employment during my one-on-one. You do it again, you're getting sued. And he was yeah, like, that's too- <laughs> oh, I, but unfortunately it happens in Puerto Rico. And yeah. I, so I don't see a clear solution. It's why I've taken a little bit of a step back on, you know, I'm still raising awareness about Puerto Rico and I'll always advocate for my homeland. Um, and especially to highlight and educate the wrongs that we have done throughout history um, and I think as somebody who lives in mainland, that's my duty now. Like when we move to mainland, we're bettering ourselves. Yeah, I understand that financially most of the time. But we also have a duty to like serve Puerto Rico and like raise awareness about what's happening. So I love it when people from mainland move there so they can kind of like hopefully help the economy while at the same time like witness what's happening. Um but, you know, I yesterday was a big day. It was an exciting day because, like, finally good Puerto Ricans. And I'm not saying, like, I'm not defining what a good Puerto Rican is. But in my opinion, good Puerto Rican politicians here mainland, a lot of, you know, I won my primary. And there was a couple of other people that have won throughout the past couple of months. And it's exciting. It's, I'm, I'm, I'm excited that there are good working people, um, you know, winning office and just hopefully continuing to better not only Puerto Ricans, but humanity in general. So, but when you invited me, I was like excited. I was like, yeah, let's do this.
Well, I thought it'd be interesting, you know, for people to hear your story, obviously. I mean, it's not every day that somebody does what you did. I mean, I read about your backstory about the parents divorcing and then, you know, getting away from the abusive stepfather and her boyfriend or whatever and leaving for the mainland. And, you know, that's a, that's a, that's a hell of a journey and a path that you took. Um, to your point, though, I did find it, I, I was, I found it interesting Again, Twitter's not real life in terms of represent, repre, representation of real life in a lot of instances. But I do find it interesting that so many young Puerto Ricans are so, like, they're so different than their parents, and especially grandparents are, on a lot of issues. And Bad Bunny being part of, like, that whole awareness thing and, like, just, I, I don't know, I, I think there's a real opportunity with young people here. And when they see people like you who've been able to, like, do what you've done, I think it's yet another example that they sh you can show them, look, you can do it right. You can still do it and be true to yourself and have self-respect and, and, and just be like, like you said, I think for me, it comes down to people first. You're a person before you're anything else. And so if you're a good person and you're able to do those things and lead and be a leader and show by example and all that shit, then like, perfect. That's, that's how it should be. It shouldn't be tied to all that stuff that we mentioned, the bad stuff, but like, I don't know. I think there's. I think the island has an opportunity right now, and and again, I think it starts with with commerce. Unfortunately, um, where if there are more opportunities, I've always felt like money is the biggest issue for every everybody and everything. You know, I was having a discussion with someone who's like pro gun and pro life, and I was like, I'm like, do you realize that before, like, if you look at the economy in the U.S. and you look at income inequality in particular that all these issues we talk about, about guns and race and abortion and you name it, those would not really be as big of an issue. But we're, there's such a wage disparity um, that people focus on those things because they feel like they can control those things. Like, I can't control whether the billionaire or the big company pays well. I can't control those things. But I can control whether I vote yes for someone who's pro-life or pro-choice. Like, and so it comes down to, this is where um, the piece of shit, Steve Bannon, if you make it about identity politics, then the Republicans will win because they'll use scare tactics and that'll beat out whatever else is out there. I don't know that I agree with that, but that's the route that they've chosen to go. But I said, if, if everyone was paid well and everybody, like when I was growing up in Detroit, the unions were very prevalent and you know, when you had uh, every like everyone that we grew up around. I mean, my, my father was a lawyer, and in the in the self employment world, uh, it's kind of feast or famine. So it's not like we never struggled or anything, but we definitely had access and privilege. He was a councilman in the third largest city in the in the state. But like everyone I knew that whose dad worked at General Motors, whether they worked on the line or were an engineer or whatever, all these union guys had second homes in the upper you know, upper part of Michigan, up north, they call it. They had boats. They took vacations every year to Disney or whatever. Like, they were living well. Yeah. And since the 70s, it's just been chop, 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 chop. And now it's like, let's all fight with one another over the last crumbs. And it's like, it doesn't have to be this way. Like, it doesn't yeah. have to, you know. So it's the just, biggest, I, yeah. You know, just like Christians say, the biggest lie the devil has convinced people of is that, it, that the devil doesn't exist. You know, that's the Christian saying. 
And I laugh because this is my grandfather used to say about rich people. He said the biggest lie that the most wealthy in the world have created is that there's not enough income or uh, wealth to spread. Um, and while I don't, um, I don't consider myself a socialist or a communist or anything like that, I consider myself to be a Democrat. Um, Democrat socialist, sure. Um, but I believe that unions are the best protections workers have right now to ensuring that that wealth is distributed um, amongst the working class. And um, I've never had a union job, but I've seen what union jobs can create for people. And like in many times growing up, I used to envy it. I, used, I was always hoping my mom would get a union job because as a single mom, she had to work three jobs. I'd barely see my mom and my mom was my most favorite person growing up. So um, it was painful. And so now as a politician, I'm like, I want that nine-year-old me that is watching his mother worked her life away to be able to have that job and spend that time with her kids. This is why I'm a huge proponent of UBI. And some people are like, oh, that's just a more government giveaway. It's not. It's our own taxes being used so that we can have a life for ourselves. The best thing that has happened out of COVID-19, and I don't care what anybody has to say, I don't care how they want to paint COVID-19, paint COVID-19, is the fact that people are forced to take time for themselves. And I know that's going to sound wrong, and people are going to be like, well, we weren't taking time for ourselves. We had to because of a virus. That's fine. But people are forced to stay at their houses, to take care of themselves, to take care of their relative to spend some time doing maybe what they love because maybe they were bored. I know that there was a couple of days here that I was like, oh my goodness, like I'm having so much time in my hands. I need to figure out like, what am I going to do with myself and my kids? And we found hobbies. We planted a garden. We like, we did things that we truly wanted to do that we just never had time for. And I think that was the biggest the biggest positive that came out of COVID for me and like as a politician, I want that. Like I, I don't want to take that away from Americans and what Mitch McConnell, Donald Trump and every Republican that I know here in my district want to do is take that away. They want to, I call it economic slavery. Like Puerto Rico's under economic slavery and they have no option. They have to slave because if not their food stamps go away because their housing goes away. Like this is economic slavery. Slavery was never abolished. It just got reinvented. Yeah. And this is exactly what is happening to us. A woman in domestic violence or a man, because it happens to men too, especially in the LGBTQ community, are forced to remain in a relationship, in an abusive relationship, because of economic slavery. And, and so when you say it comes down to money, it, it does. Everything in this world right now is driven by the fact that the wealthiest in the world have lied to us and have convinced us economically, market-wise, everything, marketing, cartoons, everything you see in cartoons, they have convinced us in the media, movies, they have convinced us that this is the only way. This is the way that we can um, remain, that we can be or have some sort of fake peace in the world. And, you know, I find it here in my district, especially during the primary election, every single time I talk to somebody and they awakened um, and how we told them, this is how much money we spend in the military complex. This is what the next big superpower spend military complex. We can still be spending as much as more than the next superpower, 
but still cut those budgets and still provide to Americans exactly what we need so that we can actually enjoy life. And it's not, it's not even going on vacation every, every year. It's like literally just enjoying life this much. How about not having to worry about where your next meal comes from? Well, like the wealthiest place in the world, the wealthiest country in the world, well, wealthiest in quotes, but like the, the, the country where people have amassed the most wealth at the top, and yet people have to worry about paying their bills, eating, like basic needs. One of the That's, biggest things that, that always <laughs> my mind, I mean, I know what homelessness looks like. I know what hunger looks like. But something that I still, I always thought my story was unique. I thought that I was, I was alone. I really thought that. Um, and then the more I get into politics and I see the numbers, 35% of Latinos living in America live under the poverty rates. That means they're not having food at night. They might be having one meal a day and that's it, if that. So that's a staggering number. We're talking about millions of people. This is not hundreds. And the fact that Republicans made it such a big deal that you know, the Benghazi emails and all this stuff, you know, I get it. Human life was lost there. And even if one life is lost, it's too many. But we're talking about millions of Americans that are dying because of hunger, because of illnesses caused by hunger here in this country. Like, I, so to me, I mean, I can go on all day about this, but, but Carlos, I just, don't you know, it's their fault. I mean, that's how it works. They chose that. Yeah, <laughs> that's the GOP talking points. It's Reagan is like, you chose to be poor. You chose not to eat. You chose not to work hard. It's the whole bootstrap bullshit line that they've been feeding us for years. New Hampshire, a young person my age has to work two jobs, not even to afford rent, just to be able to eat. Yeah. To afford rent, which is $1,200 for a one-bedroom apartment, like, you're not making that. You're you're not you're not gonna make that. You're not gonna be able to afford a car payment. Let's say average car payment is four hundred dollars a month for a decent car. Um, so let's say it's three hundred. So you're talking three hundred dollars a month. You're talking about thousand two hundred dollars in rent. Let's say you spent a hundred and fifty two hundred dollars in in groceries, which prices have gone up because of COVID nineteen. So that's not a lot of food a week. I mean, now you're then electricity, which rates have gone up thanks to a Republican governor we have here that has controlled net meter, metering bills, and not passed them so that we can't get a relief. Um, now you're talking about gas for your car. I mean, the, the bills keep piling up. You're Clothes, never going to repairs uh, like it's just, yeah, it's never ending. You're not it going is, to the you're not going on vacation. You're not going to enjoy your life. You're going to be in economic slavery. And it's no different than what we did to uh, the African slaves that we brought here to this country. It's no different. No, we just threw them the away. We just went the other way with it. You're already here. We'll just, you know, let yeah, the system we, work its way on you. <laughs> we just, so it's, it's no different. So when people say, you know, oh, we abolish, you know, this, this person was an abolitionist, you know, I, I've always been pro- uh, people of color, blah, blah, blah. It's like, no, you're not. If your economic stand is to continue to keep us in economic slavery. Um, I, I you was know. hoping with all of this, with COVID in particular, because it felt like the entire U.S. had to take a break, like you said. But that to me was a time when it's like, let's look at where that money's going now to bail out these companies. Who's getting it 
Where is it going? What industry is it in? Is that industry sustainable? Like all those things. And I thought it was such, it was a massive opportunity for, uh, for reform to really change things. And it, and, and instead of doing that, instead of saying, Hey, the cruise industry is based in Barbados, Cayman Islands, Bermuda, whatever. They're not even American companies, right? And let's bail them out because boomers like to cruise. Like this makes no sense. You know, you say, you say, Hey, spend that money somewhere else. Don't, don't take a cruise. Not sustainable. Yeah. But there are industries like that that should have gone away or at least lost their subsidies and they didn't. And it's like, and then they got bailed out and it's like, like we're just going to, we're, I don't know, I'm, I'm 47. I've been through how many stock market crashes in my life. I've been through how many recessions now. Like, it just gets worse. The more we keep perpetuating a broken system, the worse the outcome keeps getting. And now we're in a pandemic. It's like, what more do you need to understand that these policies do not work? None of this works. Well, I, I, I strongly believe in you, but yeah, I, can't, I hate to keep bringing that up because it's no, like becoming yeah. everybody's it. But you and I, I can guarantee you that we would not do business as the U.S. government behaved this past COVID-19 because it makes no sense. Um, it makes no sense to create a middleman to spread the money. Like, I'm on unemployment right now. So Trump says, we're going to give unemployment the $300 and the state's going to give 100 I still have not received my check because they made the states figure out a different system other than the unemployment system to give people money. So I, if I was through the unemployment system, I would have gotten the check directly to my bank. No questions, no big deal. Just goes to your bank, direct deposit. You wake up, the money's there. You take care of your bills, take care of your life. And it's not even a lot of money. So, you know, and, and, and you're able to like move on. So we're still waiting for a check in the mail, which we're going to have to bring to the bank. We're going to have to wait for it to clear. Like it, it's just so much bureaucracy. And let's go to the UBI, the 1,200 stimulus that they gave. Um, and then they gave a corporations a tax break. So the thought was we will give corporations a tax break a payroll tax um, and all this BS that they did in hopes that they're going to create jobs that don't can't be created because of COVID. And also we're going to trust that they're going to funnel the money down to people. Why would I in God's earth give money to people that are money hungry and expect that they're going to do the right thing with it. If they've never done the right thing with it to begin with, yeah. like, it's insanity. So, like to me, I was like, "Oh, it's the biggest police of the whole time." It's with the U.S. Have to keep power, and I think what yeah. it is is the government wanted it, especially Trump and some Democrats, because my party is not immune to criticism, and I get a lot of wrath for that. But I am not going to stop being me for anybody. Um, even my own party, they they want to continue to feed these hungry mouths. And when I say hungry mouths, is not us the poor. It's more. The, the rich and wealthy and keep them quiet because they're going to keep funneling their purses and wallets. And, um, you know, it's sad. We have a Senate race here that raised $23 million, $23 million. You know how many races you can win with $23 million in the state of New Hampshire? Like that, that's just crazy. I mean, for a little state of 1 million people, $23 million, you know, if we distributed that money, we're better off Send, giving that money to voters directly and forget about ads, forget about commercials. You'll yeah. do a lot more. It, it just, 
it fathom it just like my mind just wants to blow up every time I think about that big number, like how much poverty you can get rid of with $23 million. Like how many homes we're the only species in this damn planet that you have to like struggle and sometimes die to have a place to sleep. Like it makes no, there's, I saw this on social media. There's a city and I am so sorry that I city, but, and I'll look it up that bought boulders. Each boulder costs $3,200 and they put them in an area where homeless people laid down just to stop homeless people from sleep, sleeping in those sidewalks in those areas. I was like, we spent $3,200. Do you understand how much rent you could have paid with those many boulders? You could have at least eliminated half homeless people. You could have just like created homes for them. So it, it's just, it, 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 it makes no sense other than I honestly, that I can't make sense of it. It reminds me of the movies in the eighties where um, like the running man and all these kind of like futuristic movies where they do yeah. like crazy shit to people just to make them try to survive. That's yeah. all, and it's like none of it makes sense. Like absolutely, sense. a friend of mine's getting married. She um, she's in New York City now, but um, she was telling me before she she's marrying the guy she told me about. But she's like, my friend is from Greece, and he has a house in Greece, a boat a house in Spain and he travels like four weeks out of the year and he's not even rich there. She's like, and, and granted, like the, whatever their issues are with their finances and stuff, whatever. But the fact that an average person there can own a home in another country and have a boat and in his own country and travel and still doesn't have to do a 60 hour work week to do it. I mean, it's just broken. It is it's the CEO pay and wage gap that it's just, it's out of control. And I was like, I, I, I've always thought this, you know, you've seen the one, the driving the boat into the boat, that picture, it's like a yacht and the guy's driving his boat inside of it. Like that, it's just, it's just the excess and the gluttony and this, all of it is, I, it's mind blowing. I said, yeah. when we left the mainland, it was like, I, we've already said, like, I'm never like, I'll visit my mom and stuff. And, but and I'll, I'd love to see some of the, the West. So I've seen some of the Western part of the country, not all of it. So there's stuff I want to see, like Yellowstone and all those kinds of things. But, like, uh, I'm not living there again. That's broken. But that system is broken. It's fundamentally broken. I mean, I so we have different takes. I love where I'm living right now. I don't see myself going back to Puerto Rico and living there. And I know that probably breaks some people's heart to hear that. Um the reason why Puerto Rico has still a long ways to go when it comes to homophobia and like, you know, I have two kids, I have a partner, like I'm pretty stable here. You know, like I walk around with my family and not be afraid that I'm going to be shot. Right. The real reality in Puerto Rico, you know, more transgender and gay people get killed in the Island than anywhere else in mainland. So to me, that's, you know, Puerto Rico still has some progress to do, but I, I love vacationing and visiting. I, I was there in March, right before COVID happened, literally March uh, 11th. Was it 11? No, sorry. March 16th. I was back. It was the same day that the governor Wanda shut down the Island. And I thought I was going to get stuck. Cause I was <laughs> like, you know, I have a newborn, like I can't get stuck in the Island. There's only so much formula I have. So 
Um, so it was, it, it was nerve wracking, but you know, I love going back, um, visiting family. Like I, when I go to Puerto Rico, I, I eat so much food. You, you, people ask me all the time, how are you so skinny? Like you need to tell me because I literally, the minute I get out of that airplane, I'm eating relleno, pastelillo, which I love what you call them. Uh, uh Puerto Rican chicken pop tart. <laughs> I think that's the greatest take on Puerto Rican cuisine. <laughs> Uh, that was that was a total troll job. I was at, we were at. Um, we it blew my. I was like, why didn't I think of this? <laughs> we, we were at the beach. It was my wife and my oldest son, and me, and we went to the beach. And there's a place. Um, there's a, a God. It's been there 26 years, and so I, I popped in for some uh, parcha mojitos, and I grabbed like six of the um, chicken empanadillas, and. Uh, and I went out to the water because it was just too hot. Like I was, food was too hot. I had my drink. I'm going out into the, into the ocean. And so as I'm out there, I see my son give me a thumbs up and I'm like, oh, it's good. And he's like, he's like, come here, come here. I was like, all right. So I got out. So he kind of met me. He was so excited to have me try it because we've had them here for the last couple of years, obviously. And then before that as vacationers and all that. And it truly was one of the best I've ever had. So I, I took a bite and was like, oh my goodness. So I, I had my, can- I was like on Twitter or something. So I took my camera and held it up out to the ocean and I took that picture and then I started just laughing hysterically to myself because I was like, what's the like most gringo thing, corporate gringo thing that you could possibly write right now? And I was like, it's a Puerto Rican chicken Pop-Tart. So I put it out there. I threw my phone in the bag and I went out with my mojito back out into the ocean and sat there eating and drinking and having fun. And then I came back and it blew up. And then there's a... Um, there's someone that follows me who's on, we friended each other on Facebook after the fact, but she screenshotted it and put it on Facebook and it got like 8,000 shares within a couple of days. And I was like, oh shit, this is not how I want to be known on the island. Like this is not, it was a joke. Well, so. I, I thought the greatest take on Puerto Rican cuisine, any dish, yeah. but you know, I love, I have so many memories. Um, Did you go to Crash Boat when you were here? Oh yeah, I went to Crash <laughs> Olvo's Beach is my favorite beach. Yeah. Um, I love the food there. The, the um, you know, you definitely find a lot of Americans there. Yeah. Um, but you know, I, I also I, every time I go to Puerto Rico, I spend a whole entire day kind of like cruising my memories, like my childhood memories. So I'll go where I grew up, visit some old relatives I have. I love Savannah Grande. I grew up in some area like where the Virgin Well is like to me, like the, as a Catholic, like growing up, like that was a very important place. So, and I do that to kind of never forget like where I came from and to keep myself humble and to remember that, you know, I might have a better life right now. I don't know what tomorrow holds. And these, this is, I mean, at the end of the day, my grandfather used to say one day we're going to die and we're not going to take any of this with us except hopefully our memories um and so you know that's what i try to do so when i go to puerto rico i try to spend a whole entire day i visit like at least three cemeteries um people find that weird but in puerto rican culture just like in latin american culture we respect the dead i my partner thinks i'm nuts he's like why you go to the cemetery like i gotta (laughs) gotta bring them flowers pay my respects and like you know that's what I do. And so I spend 10% of the time going to cemeteries, 20% visiting, spending time with family. 
50% of the time eating. Um, and of course, like I try to get as much fr fresh fruit as possible. So my dad still lives in Aguadilla and, um, uh, I'll go, we'll climb trees. We'll like old fashioned way. We'll find whatever's in season, climb, drop it down. And my friends, I always try to bring a friend with me from mainland to kind of like understand me a little bit more <laughs> and at the same time get like they think it's a different country and in a, in a sense it is culturally um and they're like you're gonna climb that tree i was like yeah what else would you do <laughs> like, i don't know grab it i'm like no you grab it and drop it and they just think it's you know here you go to the farmer's market or you go to the grocery store and get your fruit and you know you you feel them and you're like oh this feels good we're gonna try it there you're like grab it, bite it, tastes good, keep going. And literally from the minute we get out of the airplane in San Juan to the minute we get to Aguadilla, we've probably made already 50 stops in the first hour, like in the first two hours of traveling, just eating, grabbing fruits from trees, as long as it's legal, literally in public property. Um, we'll stop to take pictures, meet people and it's like, it's like a world tour when you go down, when I go, like, that's how it works. And I think that's the case for most Puerto Ricans. Um, so, you know, that's, that's the type of Puerto Rican I am. I love the Island. I would love to visit in the, in, in at Christmas time. Cause it's probably one of the most beautiful times to go on the Island. Cause the music is live. Um, yeah, I mean, you've been there, so, you know, I'm envious and you're in Maya West. So like, that's a beautiful area of the Island. Rincon is not too far where you know we're, we have uh, all the best beaches on the west side as far as i'm concerned between oh, aguadilla rincon and cabo rojo the rest of the island they have nothing <laughs> <laughs> i started making some friends in the west side i mean in the east side um in vieques and all that and they're like oh you gotta visit esperanza beach and i've never been to vieques and i was like i can't call myself a puerto rican until like i go visit vieques and culebra um but they're telling me about all the beautiful beaches there and i'm like God, you guys are making me want to take one of those $49 flights. <laughs> but I got to straight state true to my values, no matter how much I want to have fun. That, yeah. you know, going to the mainland, going, well, going to my mainland, <laughs> Puerto Rico, um, and possibly bringing COVID there, it's not worth it and it's not good. Yeah, we, um, we had our son here when all that, he was in school at Albany and had his midterms um, in March. It was, yeah, it was early March, like the first week of March. And as soon as he finished his last one, we had him on a flight down here. And um, so then the lockdowns all happened. And, you know, he's t he's 21 now. He was 20 at the time. And we're just sitting there like um, after a few months of having, you know, someone who was independent. He had a job. He was going to college. He had his own apartment. He had his car. Like he was out there doing his own thing. And then he's just stuck here. And it's like. I don't want to send you back like to the mainland, but like, I really don't want you here either. <laughs> like you're kind of ruining this whole thing we have going. We have a good family unit situation with just four of us. You're that fifth wheel. So like we ended up sending him back. Um, he had to go back to clean out his apartment. And, uh, you know, and so I told him to go, go and quarantine yourself. And then he's, he's with my mother now in Detroit but he even said, he's like, I really miss the island. Like, and he, he hasn't lived here full time like we have, you know. He's like, I just really miss being there. I said, well, we live in paradise. So it's, yeah, of course you're going to miss it. I mean, that's, so when you landed in San Juan, did you clap or, uh, yeah. So th th there's no <laughs> clapping when you, my partner thinks it's weird when people don't clap because yeah. it would 
people were kind of serious. We had a rough flight when we went down. Okay. And, and people were kind of like still startled by all the uh, turbulence. All right. And, uh, pilot said, now you can clap. And so everybody started clapping. And my partner goes, I thought this was weird. This is the first flight that nobody was clapping when they landed. And but my tradition is I go and kiss the ground as soon as I'm able to, where okay. it's not too polluted. Um, I revere, I, I think the island is so enchanting. Um, it's just something special about puerto rico not just because i was born there but it, it always makes me feel you know it makes me feel like a coquille when i'm there so um i always you know i try to like revere as much as i can and so yeah we um I, we we i like i said i don't like my my friends are like now that you live there like where are you gonna go vacation i'm like i don't want to leave i mean we, we, at some point we will but like I don't want to leave. I just don't like we, we enjoy the roadside fruit stands or stopping to pick fruit. Um, we just, we enjoy the beaches. We enjoy our neighbors and the people like I don't, where, where would I go? Like the other stuff I want to see, but I don't know. We just, we have a very different, um, like perspective, I guess now on, you know, just in the world, just from living here. I just, we would love to go to Spain and Portugal. Actually, you can fly San Juan to Morocco. So we'd like to go there and then head up to Spain and Portugal and spend some time there and all that. But I mean, I said to my wife, I said like, you know, going to Spain after living here is, I mean, I'm sure it's great, but it's going to feel, feel very similar. I bet, yeah. you know? So, yeah. So anyways, it's, um, I don't know. It is, it's, living here has changed our perspective, not just on the island, the mainland, but just in life in general. It's just you get back when COVID first broke. I remember watching everybody on Twitter. They're like, "I spent time with my family," and they're like freaking out. And everyone here is like, "I spent time with my family." Like they're all happy about it. It's like, I was like, "Yeah, they actually enjoy each other here." It's a little, little strange, I know. <laughs> uh, well. Thank you so much for having me. I oh, mean, thank I'm, you. I do want to ask you about your upcoming race before we go, though. Um, yeah, yeah. So you you won yesterday. You made it on to you won the, you're in the, as far as primaries go. There were what four Democrats and four Republicans that get to now go to the um, that move on, or am I incorrect in, yeah. in that assumption? So the way the elections work here, so you have to qualify, which is an, a race on itself. So it's, hi, my daughter just. <laughs> Today was her first day of kindergarten, so uh, just got home. Hey, how was school? Good. You liked it? Good. Good. Uh, um, That's a big milestone, kindergarten. Wow. Oh, uh, it was a tough day for us today, uh, letting her go. So uh, it was a big. But I have the seven-month-old to keep me busy. So yeah. Um. So the way it works is, so there are there were six Democrats running. Uh -huh. I had to qualify. So we qualified to be on the ballot. And then after that, you have to obviously win the primaries. So only four Democrats could win. Okay. So I did. And then now there's eight. So it's kind of like ranked choice in many ways because the okay. top voter better gets it. Got so it. it could be one Democrat and three Republicans or whatever. It could be any combination. So now I'm running against essentially seven people. Um it's what my race looks like. Um, 
That said, I have a great relationship with the Democrats running with me on the ticket. Try to work as much as we can together to make sure that obviously we all get elected. So I'm busy promoting them as much as I try to promote myself on the ground. Um, but you know, the reality is that if I win this race, I will be the first LGBT Latino and person of color. So LGBT of color Latino in the state of New Hampshire, uh, elected to office. So there are other people of color elected to office in New Hampshire. Um, there's a Senator Melanie. Um, she's a Senator and she's black. Um, there's Manny who's a state representative. He's uh, Mexican descent from California. Um, but LGBTQ, this is going to be a big, um, big thing for us. And of course, Puerto Rican, I'll be the first Puerto Rican elected to office in the state of New Hampshire, which to me, uh, it will be amazing to be able to carry uh, my culture and my thinking and my views, which you seem to appreciate. <laughs> um, Absolutely. So it would be great. Um, so that's what's at stake. Um, to, to be realistic, um, I know that it's going to be an uphill climb. Um, it is a Republican county. Um, out of 20 seats in the county, only two are held by Democrats. Um, two of them happen to be in my city. Um, my city tends to be purple. So, you know, that's that Donald Trump won this city by 14 points. Um, Donald Trump is again on the ballot. So this is something that, and just like you were talking about your, your area that you came from in Jersey, the, uh, Trump flags and all that. We had one of the biggest banners. There was a crane that said Trump 2020, no bullshit. Um, and I had to drive that by it, but what gave me hope is that a bunch of locals spoke to the city hall and said we need to do something about this this is not good for us this is voting hate um and they got it down so the city asked the crane to come that was great but we have a lot to do you know i faced some real racism here i faced some real homophobia i had an opponent that called me ill which is uh something that gets used to people all the time. He did it on social media liberally and the local newspaper reported on it. And there was a huge backlash with hope again that, you know, we can do this. We have a real national attention. People like Andrew Yang, Senator Nina Turner, and many other leaders are getting behind me and doubling down on the fact that I need to win this race. And what's at stake here is not just what's at stake for our city. It's what's at stake for really what kind of message we're going to give our kids across the country and to any Puerto Rican in this district, what kind of message we're going to give to Puerto Ricans in the, in the island that you can come here and do something with your life, that you can better yourself, that you can do it there too. Um, you know, you just have to have some self-respect, have some um, stand for what you believe in and not buy into the corruption that is, you know, holding Puerto Rico hostage. So, um, you know, there's so many things at stake here. And um, so while I am not the front runner, um, I'm happy that I got through the primary. Um, it was a very exciting day. I wasn't sure how it was going to turn out. There was a Republican. One of my opponents in the primary happened to be a Republican running as a Democrat and being in the most conservative county in all of New Hampshire. You know, I was the only progressive on the ballot. So right. uh, to and I was one out of very few progressives that survived primaries last night in the state. So to me, I was like. 
I wasn't sure what it was going to look like. And I felt like my reputation was in the line, everything I had worked for for many years to build up here. Um, everything, I mean, everything was at stake last night. And, um, so when I was able to report and of course where everything started politically, Twitter, um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> It was really exciting to be able to tell people like, okay, there's hope. We can do this. Um, but I don't want to build excitement to the point that people expect it um, because I, I don't know what the future holds. You know, I can lose. The reality of losing is just as real as anything else, the general. Um, you know, it's a tough climb, um, but we're prepared. Um, I just hired this morning um, some new staff that we're going to be announcing. So we're expanding our crew. Um, and we're the only campaign in the state of New Hampshire for state representative that is hiring a crew that has fundraised as much as it has, um, by 10 times. So I feel good about what we're doing. It's just a matter that I need people to continue to keep pushing me to continue to believe in me and, um, just keep spreading the message. And just when people think that retweet or that like might not make a difference because you're in Puerto Rico or you're in, Michigan or you're in California or wherever my Twitter followers are from, you just don't know who in New Hampshire you're going to have a reach. So I always say when in doubt, just retweet it and like it. And, um, hopefully somebody in New Hampshire will see it and a, wow, like this guy's story, he's not just a Democrat or an independent mind or an independent thinker. He's like, he's like me. He's, you know, I came here as a homeless teen I left home from Massachusetts because my mom was diagnosed with cancer, had just come out gay and I couldn't handle with the pressure of home. And I just needed to run away. Like that was, I, I, there's no excuse. Like I just needed to run away and poverty. Like I was just so tired that my mom had to work so many jobs and literally kill herself just to survive. And like cancer was eating her alive. And I just, she had no life. She didn't go vacation. She couldn't visit Puerto Rico. Like, she was stuck in this cycle and she oftentimes found herself dating, you know, guys that had money that were maybe not the greatest human beings that she thought she was in love with. But to me, I saw through it and I was like, you know, this is economic slavery. This is just wrong. And so I ran away from home. I left. And next thing I know, I'm running as a writing candidate, becoming the first Latino elected to office in the state of New Hampshire. And before I knew it, I was this political cycle. <laughs> um, so, you know, I hope that people hear that and they say, wow, I can do it too so that I can stop doing it someday. And like, they can take over the torch. You know, I had a call with some young Democrats this morning and I said to them, listen, I'm getting tired. <laughs> I need you guys to pick up soon. So, um, so that's kind of like, you know, my hopes and dreams that this will inspire a fire that can't be put out that, whoever's stuck in homelessness or domestic violence or homophobia, religious bigotry, whatever it may be that they can relate to with my life, that they'll be empowered to do something about it, to just stand up and say, you know what, I got to break this cycle. I got to get out of it. So, um, and you know, I do believe there are real hurdles out there, economic hurdles where corporations make it impossible to like get out of poverty but um you have to try you you have to you have to do everything you can because you just don't know what's going to cause you know like if yeah. i didn't do done who knows where i would be today so yeah well and i feel like 
there's a there's a, a movie that would never get made today from the 80s called Revenge of the Nerds. And there's a part at the end of the movie where the the jocks are bullying the trilands, and then essentially the entire crowd turns on the jocks. And they basically say there's a lot more of us than there are of you. And that's kind of how I feel like, and your story is very inspirational, obviously. And I think the people of, of, um, of New Hampshire are really lucky to have you. And I want to thank, thank you. you for coming on. Um, I do wish you the best of luck in November. Obviously, I'll retweet you and help you get the word out. And uh, yeah, thanks for coming on. I really appreciate it. My pleasure. I want to leave it with this. Um, we don't even have to go so far with that movie. We've all been familiar with Bugs Life, the Disney movie. If we were just Flint, that, that, that little ant that stood up to the grasshoppers, we outnumber them. Like, yep. it, we win, you know? Um, so that I'll leave it with that. And thank you. It's an honor to be uh, with you talking and sharing our stories. I am so envious that you're enjoying my island more than right now. And um, I hope it keeps treating you good. And let's stay in touch. And thank you again.